All right. Well, it's great to be with you guys today, and uh, I've got so many memories, uh, good memories of being on this campus. But right now, I, I serve at a church in Indianapolis, and a few years ago, I was standing at uh, my office window. I was looking out into the parking lot. It's the middle of the day, and uh, my wife walks out the front door of the church, and she's headed towards her Suburban. Didn't exactly know why she was at the church that day, uh, but uh, saw this as a good opportunity to maybe score a few uh, brownie points, and she looked amazing, as she usually does, and so I picked up my phone and I texted her, and I said, uh, honey, uh, you look absolutely drop-dead gorgeous right now. Uh, it might have been a little more R-rated than that, but that's all right, we're, we're married, all right, so... <laughs> Um, so I kind of sent that, I kind of said to the side, I was like, you know, and that's going to pay off later. And, uh, and, uh, and a, a few seconds later, all right, I get a text back from her. She pings me back and she says, uh, thank you, dot, dot, dot. All right. So that's not exactly the response you're looking for. All right. But, uh, uh she says, thank you. And then she says, uh, I'm at home right now. Where are you? Uh, A little early, all right? Seems like it's all right. So I, I'm sitting there, I'm going, okay. Now, have you ever had one of those moments where, like, time slows down? And I'm sitting there like, oh, my goodness, what in the world have I got myself into? There's, like, nothing you can do, right? Like, we're, like, trying to figure it out. And so, like, uh, a, a, just a moment or two later, she pings me back one more time, and she says, one, it's one word, gotcha, all right? <laughs> And I look back out the window. She's driving past real slowly in her Suburban. And she rolls the window down, sunglasses down over her nose. And she does that little finger wave you girls do. She's like, like that. Yeah, that's the kind of lady I married right there, right? Now, now some of you in the room, if you, if you were to know my wife, and I realize that a few of you actually in the room know my wife. And you know, that is actually out of character for her. She normally doesn't do or say things like that. I was actually pretty proud of her. That's a good one, right? And, uh, and, and, but it's, but because she doesn't normally do or say things like that, it sort of knocked me off balance. I didn't really exactly know how to respond to it. If I would have anticipated it, then I would have maybe had a better response. I mean, maybe we could have gone back and forth, but I didn't. It knocked me off balance. You know, there's been some other things throughout life that have sort of knocked me off balance. There was, some, there was a few things uh, that knocked me off balance when I uh, stepped foot on this campus in the uh, fall of 1994 as a college freshman that I just was not expecting. There's a whole bunch of things, little and small, uh, 7 o'clock classes, my first exegetical paper, uh, the obnoxious crew on Williamson 2nd. Are, are they still there? That's what I thought, all right? Uh, uh, there were some things that I just uh, wasn't uh, expecting to experience that if I could have expected it, if I could have anticipated it, I might have responded a little bit different. You know what I mean? There were some things that uh, when I graduated from this college in the first few years out in full-time ministry that if I could have anticipated it, I maybe could have responded a little bit better. It, there were some things that sort of knocked me off balance. I mean, I, I remember sitting in a practical ministries class and hearing the professors warn me about um, burnout and moral failure. I remember talking to uh, Andy Hansen at CIY, and I remember him just kind of telling me about some friends of his that he had that were no longer in ministry, and I'd heard all of that, but it, nothing really prepared me for the vicious and intense battle that I was getting ready to enter into when it came to serving in full-time ministry. In fact, this, just this past week, I sat down and I tried to make just a, a short list of some struggles and some setbacks and some difficulties that I've personally experienced in the last 20 years or so of full-time ministry since graduating from this college. And here's just a little bit of a list. All right, criticism, misunderstanding, gossip, false accusations, division, Anonymous letters, stress, exhaustion, burnout, loneliness, 
my own pride, my own selfishness, trying to pastor and lead people through messy separations and divorces, preaching the funeral of an infant, preaching the funeral of a toddler, preaching another funeral of a teenager, and just a couple months ago, a funeral of a college-age student of a family that we know and love. Uh, Starting a church and growing it from a whopping 150 down to 90. That's right, I did that, all right? Uh, (laughs) Conflict with elders, conflict with the staff. Two separate occasions where close friends on staff were caught embezzling church funds and I had to let them go. Another close friend on staff who had to resign because his marriage was in trouble, but he didn't tell anybody until it was too late. People you love who leave the church, but they don't bother to tell you why. And then you bump into them in the grocery store, and it kind of feels like, who are you dating now? Are you going to that church? All right? and it's very awkward. All right? uh, p- people who send you emails, and they're like, well, your teaching isn't deep enough. People who send you uh, emails and say, why do you have to be so deep? Criticism that comes in from people, and they say it like this. Well, I feel this way, and a whole lot of other people feel this way, too. And just, just a little tip, if anybody says a whole lot of other people feel this way, it's three or less. They usually share the same not less names, all right? All right, just, I'm not bitter. Okay, so, um, uh, uh, one, one guy, one guy was in a, there was a congregational meeting, uh, when our church did congregational meetings, we were voting on something, this guy came in and he actually walked up to me before and he goes, hey preacher, I just want you to know, I, I'm all for this thing we're voting on, but I just want you to know I'm voting no to keep you humble. All right, thank you. All right, that's very helpful. That's very helpful. <laughs> Thank you for your Christ-like attitude, all right? So, so listen, there's all kinds of things that will knock you off balance. Maybe you've got got this image kind of in your mind of what it is that God's going to have you uh, go and do. And there's going to be some things that if you're not ready for it, you're not going to be able to stand. Now, listen, I'm not trying to scare any any of you. I I can make equally a longer list of all of the victories and the rewards of full-time ministry. Uh, It is the absolute best to have a front row seat. Uh, to watch God change somebody's life, somebody that maybe you thought never in a million years would their life be changed, and then you watch God get a hold of that person and totally flip their life around, watching ordinary people becoming the hands and the feet of Jesus to others. It is absolute. There, there's nothing better in the world. However, I just want you to know this, and I think you know it, I think you hear it, but I just want you to, to feel it, that, that what you're doing at this college is you're preparing to go to the front lines of a battle for the hearts and the minds of hurting and broken people. And when you do that, there's going to be some things that are just going to knock you off balance. Maybe you've heard that phrase before that hurting people hurt people. And it's true. Like you get close enough to the sheep and you're going to get bit. And it isn't for the faint hearted and it isn't for those with faulty footing. And I know that you're at this college to prepare for a lifetime of ministry, whatever that may look like for you. Some of you, are, you're going to go into full-time vocational ministry. Some of you will be missionaries or preachers or leaders. Some of you just don't know. You're just trying to figure it out. That's a totally okay. Right? Can I just, actually, this is just a free thing for free. It's okay. You don't have to have it figured it out. You don't have to have it all buttoned up and try to figure out what it is that God's going to do through you. God's going to work in and through you uh, regardless of what you do for a job beyond this college. I just want you to know this. If you're going to follow Jesus for the rest of your life, whether you get paid to do it or not, you're not going to come out of it without some scars. You're you're going to be able to hit. You're going to be able to get hit. And you might fall down from time to time. And now is the time to put on your armor. What you do right now, and I'm not talking about this semester, I'm talking about like today. Like what you do right now counts. It matters, right? Like the habits and the practices and the disciplines that you develop today while you are on this hill will follow you into your life and into your marriage and into your ministry. It just will. Could I I say it this way? 
As you prepare at this college, the books you read, the tests you take, the the memory verses that you memorize, they might earn you a diploma that enables you to have an opportunity to go into ministry, but it's actually going to be the character you cultivate and the relationship with Jesus that you develop here that will sustain it. So you can get you can get a piece of paper that can say, hey, you can go do ministry now, but it's going to be actually the things underneath that nobody else can see. As you cultivate character or neglect your character, as you chase after Jesus or you begin to slip into neutral. So can I just ask you this question? When you get knocked off balance, and you will, will you be able to stand? You're going to fall. Everybody falls. I fall. You fall. Can, can you get back up again? Can you stand? And I love this series that you've been in whenever Isaac emailed it to me and said, hey, we're going to do a three-part series on, on, on Ephesians. And I listened to Randy's message and I listened to um, Beth's message last week. And I just loved how they kind of walked us through these first five chapters of Ephesians. And I've got Ephesians 6 and I, I looked at it I was like, oh man, this is great. i got Ephesians chapter 6 because what Paul's doing here is he wants us to be sure-footed in a world that is going to constantly knock you off balance. And as you probably know, Paul's purpose in writing this letter is to build people up, is to unite us so that the church can be built up and be effective. And when people are not in unity, then the church can't be built up. So so Paul recognizes that the most effective way to disrupt and to destroy this work is to go after you. It's to go after your character and it's to go after your heart. It's to go after your Emotions to get you to stumble or to fall in some way. And Paul is concerned with our stability because he knows that wobbly Jesus followers are easy targets. Wobbly in what? Well, wobbly in your personal disciplines. Right? Wobbly in your theology. Right? Wobbly in your character. And he says, man, if... If you're wobbly in any one of those areas, then you're going to get knocked off balance. You're an easy target. Because of this simple truth right here, we have an enemy that is relentless. He doesn't play fair. He plays dirty. And so let's look at verse 10 of chapter 6 of Ephesians. I hope you have a Bible with you or you can follow along. Paul says here, finally, because he's concluding his comments in this letter, finally, be strong. I love that. Well, how do you get strong? He's not talking about going to the gym. He's not talking about dropping and giving him 20. He's like, be strong in how? how? In the Lord. Yeah. And then, he, then he's like, okay, I think you probably didn't hear me say that, so let me repeat myself. And in the strength of his might. I love that. He's like, i got to just say it two different ways. Paul's making some concluding comments here, and he wants us to be strong in the Lord because you and I are not strong to stand on our own. And so uh, what he is describing here. Listen, it's our position. It's our, it's our position, not your performance. He's, he's describing your position that Jesus has already paid for you on a cross. He said, this is the position that you have in Jesus Christ. Be strong in that. Be, have confidence in his uh, performance and in his position, not your own. And so you might recall that Paul encourages Timothy to do something very similar. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, he's like, my dear son, Be strong. Through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. Because one of the most effective deceptions of our enemy is that he will convince you that you can stand on your own strength and your own knowledge, your own experience and your own ingenuity. Here's what he'll do. He he will, he didn't do it overnight. He'll do it, he'll, he'll do it slowly by luring you away from the strength that can be only found 
in the Lord. He'll convince you that you are saved by grace. Sure, you know that. But you're just not necessarily dependent upon that grace in the day to day. One of the tragedies of a great thing like a college like this is in a four or five year span of time, you can grow more and more of your, of knowledge, of knowledge about Jesus, but be lured away from a relationship with him. And so by the time you graduate, you're no longer depending upon his strength because you know too much. And I remember talking to a friend of mine like a couple of months ago who's just recently had his marriage falling apart or some things going on in his life. None of us knew it. None of us knew it. Not even his close, his closest friends. I remember sitting down with him and I was like, man, bro, like, why didn't you let us know? Why didn't you share this with us? And I'll never forget what he said. He goes, I just thought that if I could go three weeks, one month, two months, four months, and not have done this particular thing, or if I could have defeated this battle on my own, then I could have shared it with you as if it was a struggle from my past, but look how I've defeated it. You can't fight that on your own strength. Like you've got to invite other people in so that you're able to stand, not in your own strength, in your own knowledge, in your own willpower, but in the strength that the Lord provides. I don't know many of you, but I, but I know that some of you probably have brilliant minds. Like you're just able to think. And that's an incredible gift. You're an incredible gift to the kingdom. Do you know that the enemy can use that against you? By knowing so much about God, but actually your heart can grow colder. And it'll get you to depend upon your intellect and not upon a relationship. You know, some of you have tremendous gifts. Some of you have, are great communicators. Some of you have, have, are great people skills. The enemy will use each one of those things against you by getting you to depend too much upon them. And you'll forget about your utter dependence upon Christ. Paul, Paul leads here with our position. Your position is, is in Christ, to be strong in him. And now he's going to give us the plan. Look at verse 11. Put on the, the, what's the word there? The whole, whole armor? He didn't say put on part of the armor, put on a little bit of the armor. Doesn't, doesn't matter if you put on like all the armor except for one piece, then they, that's actually where the enemy will aim. So he's like, put on, put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Schemes implies that he doesn't play fair. He's actually coming in the back door. He's not going to actually announce it. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So he just says, we have an enemy who is deceptive and he fights dirty and you and I are too weak. We're not powerful enough to stand against it. And in the Old Testament, God himself is depicted as a prepared warrior who is fighting to vindicate his people in Isaiah chapter 59. And so when Paul references this armor here, he's he's not talking about armor that you actually come up with. He's talking about the armor of God that God actually gives to you on loan. It's like, this is actually the armor of God and God's actually wanting to give it to you in Christ. So pick it up and put it on because if you don't, it might be too late. So here's just a pop quiz. I just want to see if you're awake. When do you put on, on your armor? Do you put it on before you go into battle or after? Right, yeah, you guys are sharp, right? So, so, so if you, so if you like go into battle without it, you get hit with arrows, you're like, oh, I better put my armor on. Like that, that's not gonna do much good. He's like, hey, you gotta put it on before. You gotta be prepared so that you're able to stand. And then he says in verse 13, therefore take up, and he says it again, the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to withstand, uh, so that, uh, you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the truth, which is the word of God. 
Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all power and supplication, to that end, keep alert, and with all perseverance, make supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me, in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly, as I ought to speak." This guy by the name of Dr. Robert Clinton uh, is a professor of leadership at Fuller Theological Seminary, and he spent about 15 years conducting extensive research uh, on the lifelong development of Christian leaders. And in an exhaustive search of the Bible, uh, Dr. Clinton came up with about a thousand uh, different leaders that he found approximately in the Bible. Most of them were only mentioned briefly by name. And these included everything from Old Testament patriarchs, priests, and military leaders uh, to New Testament apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, and pastors. And sufficient information is actually only found on about 49 of those prominent leaders in the Bible to really analyze how they finished out their ministry. So it's one thing to actually see how somebody starts. It's another thing to see how they finish. And so he found, he found this. The results were shocking. Maybe some of you have heard this before. Do you know that only 30% of leaders in the Bible finished well? 30%. So 70% didn't. 30% were still standing at the end. And he goes on and he breaks it down and saying that, that most leaders in the Bible kind of finished in one of four ways. Some of them were running. All right, so, so leaders like Abraham, Joshua, Daniel, Paul, Peter, they kind of enjoyed this lifelong, deep intimacy with God throughout their entire life. They never stopped learning. They never stopped growing. They never stopped maturing as leaders. They finished the race. Uh, some of them, though, were, were walking at the end. Uh, leaders like David and Jehoshaphat and Hezekiah were slowed down in their ministry because of sin. And they fell short of what God intended for their lives and the ramifications of disobedience to God at some point in their life and their leadership plagued them, even though they were still walking with God at the end, but they weren't running. The third group was, was they were limping. Uh, leaders like Gideon and Eli and Solomon, they finished the race, but they were in pretty poor shape. This was reflected often later in their lives and ministry by a growing distance between them and God, as well as a waning effectiveness in their and their influence. And then the fourth category is people that were just absolutely disqualified. So leaders like Samson and Absalom and Ahab, they were taken out of the race completely, removed from their leadership position, killed in battle, denounced or overthrown. We're not talking about like an honorable end like Stephen. We're talking about God actually removed them because he was not pleased with them. And Dr. Clinton goes on to say, hey, you know what? Actually, in church history, like you look at maybe um, uh, Christian leaders in recent eras or generations past, he said, really, the, the, uh, the news is the same. He, he identified about 1,200 prominent contemporary Christian leaders and said, basically, it's about the same. The faithfulness to the end is really the goal, but very few ever really do. He kind of identifies, he says, hey, there's six barriers to a really good finish, six barriers that'll knock you down to where you won't be able to stand. He said, one of them is just the misuse of money. And maybe some of you feel like, well, that's not really a problem for me. I don't have any, but maybe one day you will. And so you, you identify now, you say, okay, do I have the proper structures in place? How do I think about money? Hey, listen, you can be greedy and not have any. And so he's like, listen, the, the, the misuse of money. So, so get that right now. The second is the abuse of power. Some of you are natural leaders. How do you use it? Like you should leverage your leadership for the good of others, not to actually push others down. The third is pride. 
One of the things we say uh, with the crew of guys that I run with in Indianapolis, we say, you better get low or you'll be made low. The first is, both are uncomfortable. The first is a lot easier. So intentionally get low or you're going to be made low and begin to, to serve other people. James chapter 4 verse 10 says, humble yourself before the Lord so he will lift you up. God's not against you being lifted up. He just doesn't want you doing it of yourself. Four, four is uh, sexual misconduct. So are you, where's the line for you and are you bumping right up against it? Make sure you don't. Number five is family dissension. Listen, even strong marriages are going to struggle. It's far easier to do preventative maintenance when things are good than to try to salvage something once it's been neglected. So what are you doing now to prepare for that? And here's the last one. Number six is complacency. See, ministry has a tendency to just reveal more of who you already are. So if you are a workaholic, guess what ministry will do to you? It'll just produce more workaholics. If you have a propensity to be lazy, ministry will perpetuate your laziness. And you can coast on your talent or your success from the past, or you can lean in and continue to grow. So in most cases, leaders that I've known or have observed or seen that have crashed and burned, most of the time it's when their talent and their skill outpace their character. So how do we stand strong? How do we finish well? I love Paul's words of encouragement found in Romans chapter 15. He says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through encouragement of the scripture, we might have hope. So it's one thing for me to stand up here and read the passage. Listen to what Paul says and says, hey, put on the full armor of God. Hey man, just put it on. You're like, okay, what is practically does that mean? How do I put on the full armor of God? Can I just give you kind of a few suggestions? One way in which you can put on armor is to make sure that you continue to stay teachable. That might sound a little bit unusual to say this actually at a college where that's what you're doing is you're learning all the time. But one of the things that I've just kind of seen and observed is that oftentimes um, this can be a place where you can sort of feel like you've learned a few things, therefore you've arrived, and so you develop opinions too early. And so don't develop opinions too early be careful uh, that you recognize that there's some things that you just don't know yet. And so find a mentor and somebody that you can ask a lot of questions of and continue to have a teachable spirit uh, to ask more questions than you make announcements. Here's the second thing. You've got to be real with somebody. You've got to be real with somebody. You can't continue to hide. It's, in fact, ministry is maybe one of the easiest places to hide. It's also the place... That carries with it maybe the biggest consequences if you hide. Because in other jobs, like if you, if your life, if your personal life is falling apart in another job, um, you can still continue to go to that job and work and collect a paycheck as long as you get your job done, your personal life can fall apart. But in ministry, if your personal life falls apart, it'll eventually catch up with you, disqualify you from your ministry, and actually hurt a whole bunch of people. And so get real with someone. It doesn't need to be everyone. It just needs to be someone. And you just need to have somebody that you can actually be real with and say, man, I'm really struggling with this. And would you hold me accountable to this? That's part of what it means to put on armor. Here's the third thing. You've got to develop a thicker skin and a softer heart. In ministry and in life, you're going to take shots. You're going to take lots of shots. And if you fall apart every time you're criticized, or if you get defensive and bristle up and attack others, that is a sign that your identity has been misplaced. So I'll never forget one mentor who told me one time, he says, hey, to survive in ministry, you've got to develop the skin of a rhino, uh, you've got to have the courage of a lion, and you've got to develop the heart of a teddy bear. And that's really good advice. But here's the best thing. Here's the best thing. 
as you are here on this campus to learn more about Jesus, don't stop pursuing him. Don't stop pursuing him because the, the human tendency for all of us is the more that we learn, the more um, inclined we are to sort of stop chasing after him and our relationship grows distant and distant and, and you aren't even aware of it. Because you know so much. And you can rattle off passages in scripture, but yet you're not necessarily leaning in and chasing after him and develop, continuing to develop that relationship with Jesus. This is perhaps the root cause of any fallen leader. You can teach and preach and serve and sing and travel with all kinds of knowledge of Christ, but if you are not experiencing it for yourself, you wake up one day and you're like, how did I grow so distant from him? Several years ago uh, at our church, we had uh, Willie Robertson from the television show uh, Duck Dynasty come and uh, I interviewed him at uh, our church. This is a picture of us. And uh, uh, he, it was on Father's Day. I actually had him come in and just interviewed him about what it means to be a man and a dad. And he's a great guy. Man, he's the real deal. Uh, what you see on TV is really who he is in real life. And I was pretty excited. Uh, I uh, went to the airport to pick him up. He came out uh, with that, you know, bandana and the boots and everything. Gets in my truck. He's like, who are you? And I'm like, I'm Aaron, right? And so I, I drive him to the uh, hotel and uh, help him to check in. And we, we get to the uh, church and, and we uh, spend all um, uh, all morning in the green room talking. And I did three services with him. And, and afterwards, we're headed back to the airport. And uh, Willie pulls out his cell phone. He goes, uh, he goes hey, he's like, uh, what's your cell phone number? And now uh, I was driving and I, I on the outside, I was kind of like, oh, you want my cell phone number? On the inside, I was like, what? Like, Willie Robertson just asked for my cell phone number. So I, I was like, oh yeah, it's easy. It's just 317, blah, blah, blah. You know, I gave it, gave it to him and he like punches it in. And then all of a sudden he, he texts me and he goes, and I look down and it's a number from Louisiana and he goes, hey, I just sent you mine. And on the outside, I was just like, sweet man, thanks. On the inside, I was like, what? He's like, I've got Willie Robertson's cell phone number, you know, and so we get to the airport and I go up and I'm, man, thanks so much for, you know, coming. He's like, oh man, absolutely. Anything we can do for you, let us know. He gets out, goes inside and I'm like, I've got Willie Robertson's cell phone number. Now there's an etiquette to this. All right. You don't text him right away. Now you got to wait. You don't want to seem too anxious. And so, uh, I, I was like, I think 48 hours is a good rule. All right. I think that's like enough space and time. And so, uh, I, 48 hours later, I, I pulled out my phone. I texted him. I was like, uh, I was like, Hey, Willie, man, thanks so much, uh, for uh, coming and being with us. Thank your family for being here on Father's Day. It was great. You helped us out so much. You know, if there's anything I can do for you, you know, let me know and hit send. And, and, you know, he responded right back to me. And, and then, you know, I was like, okay, well, this is cool. You know, how far can I take this? And so, so, uh, so, uh, it, it was like, uh, you know, maybe a week or two later, I'm like with my son and my son's like wearing a Duck Dynasty hat. So I was like, click, you know, took it and I was like, hey, my son's wearing your hat, you know. And so, you know, he would respond, I'd text during a show or whatever. And this kind of, uh, this kind of went on for maybe like three or four months and I haven't heard from him lately, but uh, it, um, we overstayed my welcome. But, but there, for like three or four months that we were kind of like kind of going back and forth on some of that, I would figure out how to work that into like every conversation. Like my wife and I, we would be to dinner with like another couple and we'd be talking about like something totally off subject. And I would just be sitting, I'd be like, so uh, anyway, um, Willie Robertson texted me this week and, um, and Lindsay would like kick me under the table and she would go, don't you mean he texted you back? Because that's different. (laughs) 
people. They don't need to know that. All right. So now here's the thing. Like I can tell you that story and I can tell you that I know Willie Robertson, but I don't really know Willie Robertson. I met him once. Like we had a conversation, we exchanged a few text messages. I haven't heard from him in like three and a half years. It's really bumming me out, but I, ha- I haven't. And, and here's just the thing is I was just kind of studying through this passage and I was looking at the armor thing and what Paul's saying is at stake and hey, are you going to be able to stand? And, and it maybe kind of even kind of hurts to kind of for me to say this, but I feel like I need to say it is that I'm afraid that some of you know Jesus the way that I know Willie Robertson. Like you met him once. And some of you are like, what are you talking about? I'm at Bible college. Well, when's the last time like you really talked to him instead of study to write a paper about him? Like, like, like uh, you maybe met him in your youth group. You maybe met him at CIY. You maybe met him on this campus. And that's awesome. It's great. I'm just saying, do you know a lot about him? But you don't really know him. See, being able to stand is all based upon who you know. And so can I just ask you, how is your relationship with Jesus trending? I'm not saying that you've like like lost salvation or that you're you know totally out of it or whatever. I'm just saying, is it trending well? Are you continuing to grow? Are there any alarms going off in your mind that you're sort of ignoring? And God wants you to finish well. Here's what God's done. God's like, listen, I know there's a battle you've got to face. Here's my armor. I'm giving it to you on loan. Would you please put it on? Would you please lean in and grow closer and closer to Jesus? And may Paul's passion as a leader burn within your heart. And in mind, that we would press on and lean in to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of us. Listen, God doesn't care so much what you do for him. He just wants you. He wants you. And when he's got you, you'll do great things for him. Let me pray. Father, we come to you today and I thank you for this college and I thank you for these students. I pray that they would know that they are loved regardless. I pray that they would hear the warning to stand by putting on your armor and leaning in and chasing after you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.